Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. How are you, Jordan? Where's all the, the rest of the people that usually sit next to you? Your family's like, no, nah, you're on your own, bro. Anyway, it's so good to see everybody here. I'm so thankful for the last two weeks. The men that brought the word allowed me to really focus on uh, scheduling out, studying, and charting out the sermons in First and Second Samuel. That's where we'll be going for the fall series. I say fall, for next year's series. We'll go all the way from August until about this time next year. So, uh, we hope that you'll go ahead and start reading incredible two books, First and Second Samuel, lots of great stories. It's, it's going to be titled, After His Heart. We see that's really what it's all about, is seeking after God's heart. So go ahead and get your jump on First and Second Samuel, start reading now. But today we come to Luke chapter 21, and we're looking at verses 5 through 38. And in verses 5 and 6, we see what we're dealing with. Let's get ourselves kind of into Jesus' world, into the context of what was going on and why he says all that he's doing. Luke says, And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, Jesus said, You see all these things? The days are coming where... It's going to be destroyed. And when I say destroy, I mean completely destroyed. Not one stone will be left on another. It will all be thrown down. Now, to help you get a grasp of just the, how astounding this, this statement was, this prophecy that Jesus was making, we kind of get a, a, a glimpse at what it's like to, when we play in this church, there's just something about brick and mortar that, oh, now, when did y'all start this church? Oh, well, it was actually September 05. No, no, no. When did you build the church? I'm like, September 05. There was 10 people meeting in my living room. They're like, okay, well, I'm talking about the location. It, see, there's just something permanent, something legitimate that a building brings. There's an authority, a power that a brick and mortar brings that's actually not necessary. We were a church long before we had the building, but we come in here and we go, oh, wow, we're like really becoming a church now, right? Look at this building. There's just something about it. Well, Jesus coming in here and say, hey, I just want y'all to know this beautiful building that you're so excited about, it's going to be completely obliterated. We'd all be like, whoa. But let's just say that Instead of building this building, we built something as beautiful and ornate as St. Mark's Cathedral. That, that place is just amazing. I mean, I drive by that, I'm just like, wow, that is gorgeous. Jesus is saying, it's going to all be destroyed. But let's get even further, that it's, it's about more than just the building. There's a sense of power and authority in that building. Let's go to, to D.C., the Capitol building. Huge granite, huge marble, limestone. It's the center of the power of our country. And Jesus says it's all going to be blown away. It's going to all, I mean, not one stone will be left on top of another stone. To help us grasp the sense of this mind-boggling prophecy, let's go with respect to 9-11. When, when that went down and everyone said, this was about more than just the precious lives. This was about more than just these incredible towers. Those towers were chosen because they represented the epicenter of this country. That's what this is. The temple was their social 
epicenter, their political epicenter, their, their economic epicenter, their religious epicenter. And it was this unbelievable structure. I cannot wait till next year we're going to Israel. I'm going to see just a glimpse of what once was. And that's my personal family. Y'all aren't all invited, in case you're wondering. Y'all are like, oh, is he taking a tour? Like, no, 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 I, my family is going. But y'all are all welcome, but I'm not guiding it. I don't have enough information to guide that trip. But it's, it's, it's the epicenter of their lives. It's where it's all happening. It's where God lived in their minds. God instructed them to build this. It was everything. And Jesus is... Noticing them at the tail end of this section about authority. And he says they're just noticing how amazing the temple is. And, and it, they would have been laden, covered with gold on the walls. Uh, it would have been made of marble. And back then, to think about the, the engineering feat that was. And Jesus says, this is nothing. Now, now, what if Jesus came in here and told you, your world is about to be turned upside down? You see, I want to I lace this message with kind of two themes because both are, are there. Both are helpful. One theme is the very literal return of Christ, the Son of Man, and the season that will lead into that. But let's just say you're like, yeah, I don't see it the way you do, Pastor. I interpret this text very differently. Well, I'm just going to first of all say you have the absolute right to be wrong in how you interpret texts. That is okay. And if you disagree with me, we can both agree with this. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trials. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So whether it's a metaphorical, your world is turned upside down, or a literal, Jesus comes back and turns this world upside down, the message we can all agree on, we need to be prepared. Father, would you use this time together to prepare us for our worlds being rocked, our everything that we find comfort and safety in being ripped out from under us, Lord, please prepare us to endure such suffering and tribulation. For you say in this text, by your endurance, you gain life. Help us to endure. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, in this passage, Jesus is going to help us endure. He's going to prepare us with three things. First of all, he's going to give us a chronology. It's always helpful to know how things are going to play out. Then he's going to give us words of comfort that are sprinkled throughout the text. We'll go back and kind of gather those and see the comfort that we find. And then finally, he closes with strong command is here's what you need to do to be prepared to endure difficult days. So let's look at the chronology. First of all, the chronology is laid out for us in very generic two stages. Now, I am very grateful for this because... Just to give you the way I am, like if you were to call me and say, hey, let's go running, I would first of all say, why are you doing this to me? Why do you torture me in such way? And I would say, all right, as we're about to go running because I feel obligated, I would say, all right, before we head out, Mr. Runner, exactly how far are we going, where are we going, and how long, what pace are we going, and if you change this at all, I'm quitting. 
because I need to know exactly when this is over and I'm done because I need that. That brings me comfort in the pain. That's exactly what Jesus is doing because as you experience the difficult days ahead, I want you to have an idea of the chronology and he gives us two general phases and then he's going to break a chronology into great detail. In my opinion, that's what's going on in the text. So verse 7, and they asked him, teacher, which is what I would have asked if they said, this thing's about to be destroyed. Teacher, when exactly will these things be done? And what will be the omen or the sign when these things are about to take place? That's what they ask him. Give us the chronology here. And he's going to answer them in generic terms. He said, see that you're not led astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Don't go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, don't be terrified. For, quote, these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. Okay, stop there. So I'm seeing that as separating two stages. These things, temple destruction, the end, something totally different. That's the end. Verse 10, then he said to them about the end, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilence, all this apocalyptic language, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. So he breaks it down into two stages. These things referring to the temple being destroyed where not one stone is set up on another stone anymore. It's completely obliterated. But the end will come later. And then he uses apocalyptic language, very, uh, very language very consistent with end times text. The end, he explains, will not come at once. And so what I think we can do here. Now, many people think that the destruction of the temple in, in A.D. 70 is fulfillment of all of this. I've already said they can be wrong. It's not a big deal. But what we're going to do is say, all right, all of that is helpful, and God is preparing us for difficult days ahead. That what we see going on in that was typical of biblical prophecy. Biblical prophecy often has a partial fulfillment that then has a greater fulfillment. And so in this case, the partial fulfillment is in their lifetime, the temple was destroyed. In our lifetime, similarly, we're awaiting for the end of destruction and there will be some similar parallels. So that's what we're going to look at in this text. And like I said, a lot of times we know for sure suffering is on the horizon. We can expect that at different levels. So every believer can connect with this text. There will be days ahead that you will feel like metaphorically your world has been rocked if you're not in the middle of that right now. And what God wants to do today is to prepare you to endure suffering or a very literal season of tribulation faithfully. And so that's what we're asking the Lord to do. So what was the chronology in detail? He begins in verse 12 after setting up the two seasons. He goes to that first, these things will take place, referring to them in about 30 AD and what took place in those disciples' worlds. He says, before all of this, the destruction of the temple, before the temple is destroyed... They will lay their hands on you, disciples. Now, as you read, as you hear me reading about what's going to precede the destruction of the temple, I think you can't help but go, this is very similar to what I can imagine we will face in the days leading up to the end of the times when Christ returns. 
So, before all this takes place, they will lay their hands on you, and they will persecute you, delivering you up to the religious leaders, the synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before the secular leaders, kings and governors. Why? For my name's sake. Because you stand for Jesus. But you know what this is? This will be your opportunity to bear witness. So let me tell you what you do to be prepared. This is, this is twisted. Watch this sentence. Here's what you do. They're going to drag you before secular courts, before religious courts, and you're going to... Here's what I want you to do. Think about what you would say. Compare it to what he says. Settle it, therefore, in your minds exactly what you're going to say. Is that what he says? I, I had to read that like five times this week. I'm like, wait, what? No, he says the opposite. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how you're going to answer them. What? For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, I want you to know now it's going to get ugly. But it's not going to be up to you. It's going to be up to the Spirit of God in you. So settle it now. I'm going to take care of you, God said. Settle it now. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't think that you're going to be so smart in your answer that you're going to confound the, the rulers. Just know God says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to speak through you. I'm going to make you a glowing witness to the world in the midst of that suffering. Praise God that the Spirit of God is going to do this in you and through you. And you're going to know, I can't do this. I'm not strong. I'm weak. And he says, don't try to make up in your mind beforehand how you're going to answer them. Settle it now that you're not going to do that. Settle it now that you're going to depend on the Holy Spirit. For he will give you a mouth of wisdom. So that none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict you. And then he describes some more suffering and persecution that they would expect as they headed up towards the temple being destroyed. He says, you will be delivered up even by your parents. And brothers, relatives, and friends, perhaps that's the most painful suffering to imagine. And he says, and even some of you are going to be put to death. You'll be hated by everyone. Why? For my name's sake. Because you've aligned yourself with Jesus. But not a hair of your head will perish. Wait a minute. I thought you just said some will die. Yeah, but their hair's going to look good when they die. <laughs> no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying you will endure. Death will be just a transition into eternity. Victory. Oh, I wish I believed that more. That's what he's saying. He said, listen. I got you in my hands, and no one and no thing can snatch you out of my hands. 
And I'm going to empower you to be a faithful witness no matter what. That even death, you won't recant. You will say, praise God, as they're killing you. And by that endurance, you'll gain your life, eternal life. Wow. Imagine being told this. Not only your physical world is going to be ripped apart, the place where you worship, the city, the, the place where you do commerce, where you think of life and safety and security and familiarity, and he says, it's all going to be ripped away. Not only that, but your loved ones are going to turn against you. Now, does Jesus know what he's talking about? Well, Luke recorded these words, and then he recorded the book of Acts. And it records a historically accurate account of everything that he just said would happen. It happened. The Acts of the Apostles. Remember what happens in Luke's gospel we're getting in the next few weeks? That Jesus was treated this way. He claimed to be the Messiah. They rejected him. The religious rulers drag him before the secular rulers. They reject him. They mock him. They persecute him. People turn against him, Peter and others. He's rejected. He's crucified. He's buried. But he rose again, praise God. I wish that from now on, every time we talked about the resurrection, people just went, Whoa! Amen! I'm going to try it again. They crucified, they buried him, and he rose again. Woo! That's what I'm talking about. Sermons would get longer if y'all did that. And then what did he do? Luke tells us in Acts chapter 2, as he ascends to heaven, the angel said, oh, as he headed into the clouds, he's going to come back the same way from the clouds. And what did he do as he left? He gave them the spirit of God and he said, now you will be my witnesses from where we are now in Jerusalem on into Judea, Samaria, all the way to the ends of the earth. The known world then was Rome. And that's the story of Acts. That's an outline of Acts. And what did they do as they were persecuted? What was going on? As their families were being ripped apart, what was going on? As they were running for their lives, what was going on? The Spirit of God inflamed them. And it was like the persecution was just waving a massive wave of oxygen onto the flames of the gospel, and it spread to the ends of the earth. And it led to this us being here today. So you see the words fulfilled in the midst of the worst persecution imaginable. The gospel was shining brighter than ever. Because the Spirit of God was moving powerful in their lives and in the church. So these are exactly the events that happened from 30 A.D. to 70 A.D. So the chronology, first, there will be a great witnessing of the church amid tremendous persecution. And then we get the next in verse 20, the next part of the chronology is Jerusalem will be surrounded. They said, well, tell us exactly what's the sign that this is about to happen. And they said, he said, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, that's when you know the desolation has come near. And they're like, oh, sorry, I asked. It's kind of hoping to be like a bare warning time, right? No, when you see them standing outside with guns, there's your sign. It's about to go down. So don't wait for them to get prepared. 
Get prepared now. It's too late then. Verse 21, he describes instructions for believers, the disciples. I just want you to just grasp how bad the season is when he gives them these instructions. So to the disciples, he says, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Get out of Dodge. And let those who are in the city depart. Let not those who are out in the country come into Jerusalem. For those days, these are days of vengeance. It's an interesting concept there. These are the days of God's vengeance on the people who rejected his Messiah. So if you have embraced the Messiah, get out. Because it's going to get ugly. Escape the coming wrath of God. Be saved. Because this is going to happen in fulfillment of all that was written. Oh, for women who are pregnant and nursing in those days. But there will be great distress on the earth and wrath against this people who reject the Messiah. They'll fall by the edge of the sword, be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem, the holy city, will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles which the Lord has established until those times are fulfilled. What a terrible, terrible scene. The history books record these terrible events took place in 70 AD as the Roman Gentiles surrounded the city, sacked the city, and warfare was just gruesome. The Christian's world, hear me, the Christian's world, the ones who made the faithful choice, to follow Jesus and to embrace Jesus, their worlds were rocked as God's vengeance was poured out on those who rejected Jesus. That's the reality in which we live. We live in a fallen world that's suffering from the consequence of sin. And when you embrace Jesus, please don't think for a second that you escape suffering in this life. Or the suffering that will come if the Lord comes during your lifetime. The extreme persecution. Christians suffer greatly even as Christians as a part of God punishing his peop the, the people who rejected him. That's biblical. Being prepared is knowing that. Helping be prepared is, is knowing that. If you think you're not going to suffer as a Christian, you will be shocked when your world is turned upside down. Well, God, what could you do? What? Read your Bible. You will suffer. Don't be caught off guard. So here's the chronology so far. Witnessing while suffering. Suffering becomes the great opportunity to testify to the goodness of God that he is the Lord 
as you're being persecuted for him, the Spirit of God giving you, inflaming your witness. Troops surrounding Jerusalem in their day, the city and the temple destroyed in their day, day, but then Jesus says, but that's not the end. Fast forward, in my opinion of this text, from 70 AD to now. We're waiting for the end. Verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man, that's Jesus, coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, church, straighten up. Raise up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Amen. Church, don't shrink away cowardly in fear. When the Lord comes, that's not your tribulation. That's not your punishment. That is your salvation. So stand up boldly. Be proud. Be ready. Proclaim Christ crucified and watch what he does. For redemption is drawing near. What a glorious truth. These verses describing the apocalyptic language of the end of days or straight out of Daniel and other prophecies that talk about the, the end of times. And we see Luke says himself, the angels declared that the way he went up in the clouds, you'll see him coming back again in the clouds. That's exactly what Jesus says. And that's what Daniel said, the son of man. And Luke has made it clear that Jesus is this son of man, this Messiah, the son of God who ascended and who will return the same way he left. And when he comes back, there will be great tribulation in the days proceeding up until that moment. Now, you want to know exactly, I have charts. No, I don't. It may be pre-trib that he raptures the church and spares us of seven terrible years of tribulation. It may be in the middle, mid-trib, that he raptures the church and spares them of the last three and a half years of terrible tribulation. Or it may be post-trib that he raptures his church and then brings them back down to establish his kingdom on earth forever. At one stage in my life, I was pre-trib. About middle life, I was mid-trib. Right now, I'm post-trib. I feel like Jesus doesn't ever say, I'm going to keep you out of that tribulation, but he says, I will keep you in that tribulation. Whatever it is, the answer is the same. By the Spirit of God, those who have put their hope in King Jesus will endure. Are you in Jesus? Or are you just playing church? Because, brother, playing church ain't going to cut it when your world is turned upside down. Much like these disciples, we need to be prepared for the difficult days, whether it's a diagnosis that we receive tomorrow, the loss of a job, the crushing of a relationship, or 
tribulation like we have never seen. We need to be prepared. We need to be prepared to stand strong, stand up, and give a proud, proud in the Lord, confident, bold witness that Jesus is Lord in the midst of suffering. So how do we do this? How can we be prepared? Very quickly. Comforts. Let's look at the comforts throughout this text. Jesus basically says in verse 15, Don't worry about what you will say, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. That is so comforting to know the Holy Spirit of God will be your strength. Then Jesus promises, Not a hair of your head will perish. You will not lose your salvation. You will not grow weary and faint. You will not fail The Lord God himself will see to it that you endure. Praise God for that. And by your endurance, you'll gain your life, meaning eternal life. I also find comfort in verse 22. For these days are vengeance to fulfill all that is written until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Where's the comfort there? This is not like God fell off his throne and lost control. This is all a part of his plan. He is carrying out his plan. And when you go through it, you and I don't like suffering at all, but you can find comfort knowing God is still on his throne and he's faithful and he loves me and he will keep me and he will use me and he will make me a witness in the middle of it. And then I'll be with him forever and ever and ever where there is no suffering. Forever and ever and ever and ever. Ever and ever. And I really take comfort in verse 29 now when these things take place. If you're in Jesus Christ, your redemption is drawing near. You want to be prepared? Embrace Jesus like you've never embraced him before. And then he tells a parable about the fig tree. He says, look, when you see the the leaves fall off, it lets you know a new season's coming. What's his point? Verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Just like those leaves fall off every single season. You can count on it. When I tell you these things, you can count on it. Not one of my words will fail you. Chronology, the comfort, now the commands. So what are we supposed to do? I've told you all this. He says, look, it, it's, it's going to be tough. You're going to have suffering, and you might even live through the worst tribulation imaginable. But I'm going to get you through it. Okay, well, what do we do? What do we do now? Give me something to do. Verse 34, watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Isn't that what you tell your kids when they're walking out the door? Hey, watch yourself. I'm watching you, but watch yourself. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. What is that? That literally means a hangover. Dissipation is a hangover. Drunkenness and a hangover. It's what he's saying. Watch yourself lest you be weighed down with drunkenness and a hangover or the cares of this life. And that day comes upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon 
all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Don't think that you're the exception. So stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. You see, sometimes we, we hear the sovereignty of God and we just kind of go, oh, I'm good. No, I, don't, I can't fully explain it, but both are true. God's sovereign and you are responsible. Stay alert. Stay awake. So what are we supposed to do? Well, let me tell you what you don't do. If I told you tomorrow your world will be rocked and it's going to be the toughest day of your life and it's going to be the beginning of a very difficult season, what you wouldn't do is two things. Number one, you wouldn't get drunk and have a massive hangover to face the worst day of your life tomorrow. Amen? Are we with me? Anybody disagree? Stand up right now and tell me you disagree. Didn't think so. Number two, you would not do this. You would not rearrange your sock drawer. Anyone? That's what he's saying. He's saying, don't get weighed down by the, the silly cares of this life. If you know that's coming, don't get drunk and hungover and don't floss your cat's teeth. It's not going to do you any good. Don't say, oh, I'm going to decorate my house, and I'm going to be more concerned about that than about Jesus coming. Oh, don't worry about whether your boat surfs like you want it to. Jesus is coming back. I just nailed me and my wife back to back. That's the Holy Spirit, because that's not in here. Yes, Lord. Sorry, honey. I'd be sure I threw me in there with you, right? So if you really believe that Jesus is coming and you really believe that suffering will happen, what do you do? You stay alert and you pray, God, give me the strength to endure because I can't do this without you. Let's pray. Lord, help us be a faithful church. Help us not get weighed down with the silly things of this world that we're just being lulled to sleep by the blessings that you've poured on us such that we are shocked and caught off guard and not prepared when we endure difficulties. And oh, how much more if it really is that we are going to go through unbelievable tribulation before you come back. But God, my, my only hope, because I am so pathetic and so weak and so fleshly and so fickle, and I imagine we all feel similarly, Lord, that our only hope is you, Jesus, is that your spirit rises up within us, gives us the words to proclaim the goodness of God in the midst of tribulation and suffering. Lord, make us a faithful church that's prepared, that's aware, that's witnessing in the midst of all the suffering of this world until you come and get us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.